0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. And today's Salon Exclusive takes us to Melbourne, or at least that is where our author comes from, the brilliant Sarah Schmidt. So welcome to the show, Sarah. She is the author of See What I Have Done, which was long-listed for the Women's Prize, among many other awards. It took her nearly five years to write her next novel, which to me sounds perfectly reasonable. Don't be shamed by that, Sarah. But the wait is over. Her new book, Blue Hour explores themes of motherhood, grief and generational trauma shaped by the Second World War and explored in the relationships between husbands and wives, mothers and daughters. Now, you know that we love a dual timeline story and this is another one of those. So it shifts between Kitty's story in 1940 and her daughter Eleanor's story in 1973. Both women are Defined by the limited opportunities that their context presents them with and the way that they fight against that, and also by marriages to war damaged men. Despite having so much in common, though, Kitty and Eleanor struggle to see the other as a person in their own right. So It gave me shades of Elizabeth Taylor. I don't mean Elizabeth Taylor, the actress, I mean Elizabeth Taylor, the novelist, who you might not know. Um, And if you don't know her, please check out her lovely green-spined virago classics. So the book is really complex, but that doesn't mean it's confusing. It just means it's twisty and turny, but it's literary. So it's just got this real brilliant combination of energy and prestige about it. I don't want to say prestige, actually, that makes it sound snobby, I mean, a fineness. It's just a very special book and you can see why it took her five years. Here's Sarah with more about her remarkable new novel, Blue Hour.
1: Hello there. I'm Sarah Schmitz and I'm honoured to be reading exclusively for listeners of Damien Barr's Literary Salon from my new book, Blue Hour. The extract I'll be reading you is the opening chapter of the novel and follows Eleanor as she flees her partner in the quiet hours of the morning with her infant daughter, Amy. I wanted to share this with you because it's the way I first experienced Blue Hours many years ago. I have a lot of very vivid dreams, and to be honest, I, I feel like this is probably where I do all my best work in my sleep. Um, I had this dream while I was trying to finish writing my first book, See What I Have Done, and at the time I was in my early 30s and had been trying to conceive a child, uh, only to miscarry time after time. I never grew up with a deep desire to be a mum, and yet I loved children, and so when I realised I had been contemplating motherhood, I kept wrestling with what that meant socially and personally, but particularly creatively. But my body had other plans for me, and I accepted that becoming a slightly different version of myself, potentially a mother, was very unlikely. So I kept going, I kept writing my book, and I kept myself open to the possibilities that maybe one day I might become a mum. And that's when I had a dream about Eleanor. Now, Eleanor was driving to the Blue Mountains. She seemed nervous, distracted, and yet unbelievably sad and angry. And she kept looking in the rearview mirror of her car. In the dream, I kept wondering what she was looking at. And so when Eleanor next looked in the rearview mirror, I did too. And what we were both looking at was her infant daughter in the back seat. Uh, It was extremely weird to have this dream Um, and I immediately woke up only to discover that in that moment I was having another miscarriage. But that image of Eleanor stuck with me the very same way that Lizzie Borden had many years before that when I had first dreamt of her and felt compelled to write a book Every year that kind of went by, I kept thinking about this strange woman in a car that I'd had a dream about, and I wanted to know why she was driving her car, why her daughter was there, and what she was driving towards. I particularly wanted to know, why did I have that dream at that exact moment that my body felt as if it was rejecting motherhood yet again? And that was the beginning of a novel that would eventually become Blue Hour. And not long after that particular dream, I fell pregnant again with my daughter Alice, who is now 10 years old. And so the conception of this novel really does tie in with the conception of my daughter. And on that note, here's a short recording for you. Eleanor, present. 1973. Stand, walk, and she does. Moves down the hall to their bedroom. And when she's by his side, Eleanor leans into her husband's mouth, waits for warm breath on lips. Breaths are full. The warm drip of herself down her stomach, down between her legs. There is no way to stop the flow of yourself once the body accepts release. Eleanor quiets to the bathroom, switches the light on, lifts her top, wipes herself clean. Right breast and stomach and water between her legs gives her the urge to urinate, and so she does, a slight sting from having held on overnight. All quiet in the house, all quiet in the blue hour. Move quicker, Eleanor. She heads back down the hallway opens the door to her daughter, the blue lava lamp in shadow play on walls. Eleanor goes to the cot, scoops up Amy, scoops up blankets, and the side of her daughter's mouth brings a drop of milk, the way all feeds do. Eleanor, leave now so you can get to safety before nightfall, and she whispers, everything will be better soon, Amy. There, in the first yawn of daylight, dishes stacked by the sink, Pumpkin soup splatter on the wall near the telephone. Broken chips of the earthenware bowls from Kitty. Mother's wedding gifts. There, a baby rattle in the middle of the lounge room floor. An open cupboard door. Last night's leftovers never tidied. Things are the same until you're not, she thinks. Eleanor feels her way along the walls. Navigates past dining chairs, through the obstacle course of day in, day out the smear of dried pumpkin soup on the wall, the telephone called, cold wallpaper, the humming fridge. Open it, Eleanor. And she does, lights up the room with artificial light. Be quiet. On the kitchen counter, her husband's black box, bought home from Vietnam. She holds Amy closer, kisses and kisses. Artificial light allows you to see what you want to see. And so she sees a home filled with the passion of a husband and wife, of two people magnetised hip to hip, moving a body as one through the night, the way they tell each other things that only make sense when whispered in an ear at just that sonic frequency. Like birds, like whale song, language of like-like species, the taxonomy of family. There, George standing in the lounge room holding his granddaughter Amy, his smile gate-wide, speaking about how in the summer they will camp up at Blue Mountain just like old times. There, Kitty laughing along to a story Eleanor has told her. There, Badger with his children. But there is no existence like this. Out the front door, into darkness, colder than she expects. She wraps the blanket tighter around Amy, keeps her warm. A streetlight glows fog- from the opposite side of the street and in the distance is a car, another car rolling towards early morning shift work down the front steps flowers graze her calves and she is at the gas meter in the front yard the small ticking like night crickets hiding in grass letterboxes rise like field mushrooms grey in the streetlight up above, powerful owl sound, the skitch of a possum running overhead on the electric wire the goat hangs from the burgess's porch, night dew for swings in time with tree movement, the smell of the goat. The last hunt was two days ago. There is no disguising death. It sticks to skin, sticks to clothing, sticks to memory. Often you have to look past it to keep going on with life, on with the day. She sniffs her skin, her jumper, hopes the winter air will take away the smell. Eleanor carries her daughter to the midnight blue 1968 Belmont station wagon, filled with a few of their belongings, the emergency items they will need for their journey, Shuts Amy into the back seat. I'm just going to do one last thing. She kisses her daughter, goes back inside the house. Inside, she leans against the closed bedroom door, uses wood for a spine, listens. She opens the door, holds her breath, And he's limbed out like a tree, the giant way he takes up space. I just need to make sure he's not awake. Everything is quiet, and her heart races to her throat. Eleanor, leave. It's time to leave. He will wake any minute. She closes the door and rushes to the kitchen, snatches the black box off the counter, runs out of the house to her daughter. Automatic pulses push Eleanor through Wintonvale streets. Car tires smooth on tar. Ahead of her, a crow scamps around the base of a tree. And wind sweeps through feathers, a black sea. Eleanor and her birds makes her smile. Wind swims hair, messes into face and eyes. She smooths her hair away so she can see. Winds the window up. Blasts the car with heat. It's always so cold everywhere. Eleanor reaches over the driver's seat to Amy, palms her daughter's pudgy legs. Are you ready for a long drive, bub? The journey to Blue Mountain will take a while. Outside the car, houses beam light. People fetch newspapers from yards, burrowed down into neighbourhood talk. Inside the car, a small piece of lapis on a thin strip of leather swings from the rearview mirror. Kitty had given it to Eleanor. An unexpected gift she has never been able to bring herself to get rid of. Eleanor, tell your daughter a story to keep yourself awake. And an eye on lapis, she does, says, Did you know the sky is blue but once a very long time ago? Humans didn't have a word for such a colour. Blue isn't as common in nature as you would think. In old books, the sky is described as apocalyptic blazes of purple. Something to fear. Those people didn't realise how many ways a human eye could detect shades of blue, and so they didn't always know what colour they were looking at. Isn't that amazing, Amy? The idea of it makes Eleanor cry. Stop it. Amy, wouldn't it be wonderful to see something that's rarer than blue? And she watches the lapis swing, thinks of the blue mountain, her favourite place. We're going somewhere. We will be safe. We never have to come back here. Her foot on the accelerator takes them out of Winton Vale, takes them towards the highway to the mountain. She eyes the rearview mirror, keeps a lookout for headlights, keeps a lookout for him.
0: That was Sarah Schmidt reading exclusively for the Literary Salon from her new novel. Blue Hour is available from All Good Bookshops now. It's published by the people at Headline and you can get it from our bookshop on bookshop.org. As always, thank you for listening. I appreciate your ears and it's because of our dedicated listeners, the lovely people that includes you, that this podcast is possible. So we really appreciate your support. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to our podcast and share it with your pals. And just, you know, don't even worry about adding to the TBR pile. Everybody loves having books they haven't read. Happy reading, and I'll see you again soon.